But most importantly, to see visitors. We're very glad that you're here visiting Memorial Methodist this morning. This is one of two services that we have. This is our contemporary service. And at 11 o'clock, we have another service over in the sanctuary with Sunday school in between. So we'd like for you to stay and join us for the rest of the day here at Memorial. And we're very glad to see you here with us this morning. Um, our next song is called Sing a Song. So let's sing a song together. Oh, 
you're glorified. A song of your faithfulness, a song of your grace, of your love and kindness, to the glory of your name. With everything that's in me, Lord, listen to me say, I want to sing a song for you, I want to sing a song. And I sing about your mercy. And I sing about your love, your goodness, Lord, your righteousness. I want to sing a song of your faithfulness, a song of your grace, and of your loving kindness, and to the glory of your name. And everything that's in you, Lord, listen to me say, I want to sing a song for you, I want to sing a song. We'll sing holy, holy, holy. Oh, we'll sing holy, holy, holy. And we'll shout holy, holy. Are you Lord Almighty? A song of your faithfulness, a song of your grace, and your love and kindness to the glory of your name. Everything that's in me, Lord, listen to me say, I want to sing a song to you, I want to sing a song. We'll sing holy, 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 we'll sing holy, 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 lift your voices up. Holy, holy, are you Lord? does just prepare your heart for worship. It's called Holy is the Lord. And the first line says, we stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's sing this together. Filled with His glory, holy is the 
together we sing. children to come forward and assemble right here in the blue area, three-second violation zone, <clears throat> for a children's sermon, and the rest of you greet one another and get last-minute refreshments. sermon and talk about some of these things in this basket okay it's a microphone so what we're going to do today is i'm going to show you some of these things we've got um, nuts in here and rocks and leaves and a coin and a pillow do you know what this basket's for it's kind of weird isn't it well caroline picked all of these things out and she put them in this basket to give to baby jesus Okay, there's some special things that we can give to baby Jesus. Remember, baby Jesus was born a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and he was born in the manger, and he came, and, and everybody came to see him. And today, we're celebrating the fact that some special people came to see him. Who came to see baby Jesus? Who else? Who came, though? Were there shepherds? You came, Caitlin? Were there shepherds there? Yeah, and wise men? Huh? Who came to see baby Jesus? A pillow. Not a pillow. But there's, there's kings that came to see baby Jesus, and they brought him some special presents, and they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these kings came from far, far away, and they came and they followed a star, and they got all the way to where baby Jesus was because they wanted to celebrate the fact that he was there. So Caroline picked all these things to put in her basket to give to baby Jesus. But there's some other things that we can give baby Jesus, too. We don't have to pick up some things. We can give him love and kindness. And every time that we do what our parents say and we're good boys and girls, that's special for baby Jesus, too. Okay? So we can give baby Jesus all kinds of things from, th things from our heart. Okay? Is that a plan? Just like the kids that came and gave baby Jesus gifts, we can give him gifts, too. Okay? 
Let's say a prayer. Can we close our eyes and hold our hands like this? Can you hold your hands like this? Alright. Dear Lord, please help us to remember you every day and to give you special, special gifts for baby Jesus from our heart. Amen. Since I saw Talladega Nights, I think that term, little baby Jesus, is a little different, but you saw that movie. <coughs> His friends kept saying, well, he grew up. <laughs> it's good to see all of you here today. Glad that you could be with us today in worship. Um, we want to give you an opportunity to share concerns you might have that you want us to join you in prayer over and with, and we will invite you to do that by raising your hand. And we will give you an index card to write something down you don't mind me repeating. Our ushers have index cards for you and uh, pencils if you need them. Just lift your hand so we can get these to you. We also will be passing out attendance registration tablets momentarily. And we invite you to sign in today. Record of your attendance. The Young at Heart Club meets on... Wednesday, January the 9th at 11.45 in the social hall for a covered dish meal, and we want to invite folks uh, there. Um, basically, uh, young retirees and, and old retirees <laughs> and uh, others are invited to come to the Young at Heart Club, and we invite you to do so. Officer Scott Broom and his canine partner, Ajax, from the Greer Police Department will be our guest for the Covered Dish Luncheon um, this Wednesday. We have nursery sign-up sheets still back there. We are blessed to have a growing number of uh, little children, and we need help. Uh, everybody taking some turns in the nursery to help us uh, provide uh, warmth and love and care for these precious little ones. And uh, if you'll sign up for a time, um, we try to provide a nursery all three hours of our mornings here on, on Sundays, so help us with this. Any other announcements? I do have an introduction to make. Would Shane and Ashley Hansen stand up? And with the real Shane and Ashley. Uh, these folks are coming to join our church on transfer of letter from another United Methodist Church. They have the distinction of living next to the Driscolls and being friends of the Dumases. I don't know what distinction that is, but uh, <clears throat> Marnie's okay. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> Shane and Ashley, we're delighted to have you. Welcome you into our fellowship. We want to make sure we get a picture of y'all sometime. And uh, not today. <laughs> okay. Anybody got a camera? <laughs> we're, we're starting to put, uh, we're, we're trying to compete with the post office for pictures uh, of our, our most wanted, our, our most welcome. Uh, okay. If your prayer concerns are ready, we would like you to raise your hand and we'll get these passed in now. I hear right. Is that what you said? Lift your hand and we'll get those prayer cards. 
Our young people will go are going skiing next weekend. And Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, I'm going to go up on Saturday and show them how they're supposed to ski. Could someone fill out a prayer card for me, please? Adv healing in advance. <laughs> I uh, want to make you aware also in your prayer time to remember uh, Coach Phil Clark. You, if you were here last Sunday, you heard us announce that he fell on Friday after Christmas and broke his left hip. Phil has not responded well since he had surgery, uh, has been more or less semi-conscious the whole time, and uh, is very critically ill at this point. So please remember him and his family uh, in your prayers in these coming days. Let us pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. We thank you that in some wonderful, warm, and mysterious way, you can even make yourself and your presence known to the critically ill and unconscious and so we pray that blessing upon Phil this day as he continues to work on his life here on earth in healing. And as we prepare ourselves for whatever might be your final will in that, in that situation, we do lift him up to you for your healing touch. And these are our other prayers for this day. We pray for Hayward in the hospital with severe stomach um, virus. We pray for a father with a medical problem. We pray for Alicia Bitmar and her continued healing following surgery. For troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We pray for peace and comfort for Carl Reinick as he battles cancer. For healing for Mike Berg. We pray for a co-worker with three small children who just lost her husband. We pray for safety on the youth ski trip next weekend. We pray for the church family of Abner Creek Baptist Church as they look to rebuild following the fire. We pray for Tara Tipton Foltz. We pray for a grandmother recovering from a heart attack. We pray for Lynn Pennington for the recheck on how chemo is doing this week. We pray for Sue Hill with pancreatic cancer, uh, given just a few months to live, friend of Hank and Lynn's. We pray for the college students who are returning to school this week. These are our prayers that we offer to you, Lord, through our faith and in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, Matthew 2 this may seem late to y'all, but this is the 12th day of Christmas. Uh, this is the, the day on uh, in some parts of the of the world where they exchange gifts.
to remember the not only the birth of Christ, but the visit of the uh, Magi. Children, would you like to get presents today? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, the only present I have is the sermon. Aren't you lucky? Here we have the scripture reading. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here ends the lesson. What does all this mean is my sermon title. Now you're going to think that I've gone crazy, but you've already thought that a time or two before. But one day I, I think I'm going to write my own biography of Jesus, my own gospel. And it will be called the gospel according to Arthur, the gospel we might want to skip. I do think that it's possible for any of us to write our own encounter with the living, resurrected Lord. Because in some way we each get to know him, a little bit at least personally. We've been raised by people who knew people who knew people who knew people who knew him. And we've had opportunities to study the New Testament and the other writings of the life of Christ. And I've seen Jesus alive in you. And you've helped form an image in my mind of who Jesus is as I relate to him every day. If I ever do write this gospel of mine, I'm sure that my somewhat warped personality will undoubtedly become visible to you readers who will have a chance to see Jesus through my eyes. And I would expect that my verbal portrait to be somewhat different from yours and also from the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament. My Gospel, for one thing, would include many illustrations of our Lord's sense of humor because there have been many in my life and also in Scripture. What the Bible... Um, what we have in our Bibles is just what I talked about above. Biographies about Jesus 
written by people who either knew him or knew people close to him. But we can also hear their unique personalities and perspective as we read their words. That's why the four verbal portraits we have in the New Testament are slightly different. It's their own filtered personality coming through and their own relationship with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote from their unique perspectives, and each one targeted a different audience, writing their narratives in such a way that they hoped would be inviting to their readers as well. Each one selected parts of the story that appealed the most to them, and they left out other parts that seemed less significant or which they feared might be misunderstood by the people they were writing to. How blessed we are to have four different portraits to help us as we create our own vision of who Jesus is and try to understand what all this means. There was a baby born to a virgin girl and her betrothed husband. The baby arrived at a slightly inopportune time when a stable had to provide shelter and when a manger had to serve as a crib. Shepherds and magi came to pay homage to the baby, and that baby became a man whose life was the most grace-filled life ever lived, whose teachings were like no one else's who ever lived, whose death became the guarantee of our pardon and forgiveness, and whose empty tomb gave us assurance of eternal life. What does all this mean? Let's ask several of the gospel writers for their slightly differing opinions of what this means. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are often referred to as the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means with one eye. They share a common point of view, one eye view of the basic outline of the story of Jesus. But they still differ a bit on what that life meant. They agree in the words of my friend, Dr. Benjamin Biedenbaugh, the gospel is good news that a most wonderful thing has happened. This most wonderful happening has to do with the impact of a person upon human life. And this impact is the restoration of a relationship between God and his people. Matthew, being a person immersed in the Hebrew heritage, saw Jesus as a true Israelite in every sense of the word, loyal to the nth degree to the law of Moses, fulfilling all of the Hebrew prophecies, being our long-expected Messiah. Matthew's audience was made up of people just like him, loyal Hebrews, very religious people. Bishop Will Willimon calls Matthew the gospel for the person who has everything. It was an appeal to the successful, the wealthy, the insiders when it came to religion. We can see just how Jewish Jesus looks throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Even the genealogy of Jesus is traced back through the royal line of the kings of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are also mentioned all of this is Matthew's way of saying Jesus was absolutely a pure-blooded, red-blooded uh, Israelite like Abraham and Moses. 
then Matthew is the one gospel that tells us about the wise men, saying that Jesus was such an important person that foreign dignitaries who recognized him as the king came to call upon him. Now, it's interesting to me that Matthew decided to omit the story of the shepherds. That visit tended uh, to make Jesus appear, appear less than royalty. A visit from shepherds would render you unclean and defiled because of their contact with animals. Matthew's Hebrew readers would have immediately been turned off and not wanted to read any more of the story about Jesus. And so he just omitted it. No, a king should be visited by wise men who bring gold fit for a king, frankincense, myrrh, and uh, uh, gold, all these gifts fit for the king. Another aspect of Matthew's gospel is the author's desire to show how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures, thus making the claim for Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus was born of the virgin as prophesied by Isaiah, born in Bethlehem as prophesied by Micah, called out of Egypt as foretold by Hosea, surviving the attack upon children by Herod as prophesied by Jeremiah. The prophecies about being called out of Egypt and surviving the uh, death squad was Matthew's way of saying that Jesus' life paralleled Moses' life in lots of ways. And Moses was the giver of the old law as Jesus was the bringer of the new law, the new covenant. So as you read Matthew, look for the many times he uses the phrase, this was done to fulfill the words of the prophet. Only in Matthew will you see these words, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Again, we see how Matthew was trying to see that, say that uh, Jesus was loyal to the Hebrew faith in every way. Only in Matthew will you read that John hesitated a bit before he baptized Jesus, saying that he was the one that ought to be doing the baptizing, not John. Matthew is telling us that even John, the last of the prophets, recognized who Jesus was and that Jesus wasn't there because he needed repentance. He had not done anything wrong. The reason that Jesus gave John for being baptized, that was to fulfill all righteousness, was like Jesus' way of saying, I want to make sure I've done everything right. It's as if we could hear Matthew shouting, Don't you see? Here is a loyal Hebrew who did everything right. He is the Messiah. But there are others of us. There are others of us that God also wanted to hear the good news about Christ. We are not Hebrews, loyal or otherwise. Some of us come from Gentile stock. Others of us were just notorious outlaws and sinners. Matthew's portrait of Jesus leaves us out in the cold, feeling unwelcome in Christ's presence. Thank goodness for Dr. Luke, who, who comes to present to us another portrait of Jesus 
as seen through the eyes of redeemed sinners and outcasts. Luke was a friend and traveling companion of Paul, missionary to the outcasts, the Gentiles. Luke remembers Jesus as being one who befriended outcasts and showed mercy to sinners, extending God's love to all people of all races. Luke viewed Jesus somewhat like a Greek philosopher as the ideal human being. To emphasize Jesus' humility and approachableness, Luke decided to leave out the story of the wise men, but to include the story of the shepherds and the manger. In Luke, Jesus' genealogy is traced down through a very humble, unknown list of ancestors. You know, we each have multiple ancestors if you've done any genealogy in your family. I am as much canon, Earl, Kirby, and Chapman as I am Holt. Luke tells us how Jesus was connected not just with the patriarchs, but with unknown humble people all the way back to Adam, the father of all human beings. In contrast to Matthew's reporting how Jesus said, go only to the Hebrew cities, Luke tells us in chapter 10 that Jesus said, go to all the cities and tell them I'm coming. In saying these things, Luke is telling us that Jesus was coming for everybody. If it were not for Luke, we wouldn't know about Jesus' boyhood, that Jesus grew up like everyone else, that he caused his parents anguish by getting lost from them during a vacation trip to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. Luke relates this story so we might realize that Jesus was truly human, and therefore he understands us. Another distinctive emphasis of Luke is God's mercy towards sinners. Only Luke relates the story about the Good Samaritan, where an outcast is made the hero of the story. Only Luke tells us about a prodigal son who comes home and is greeted warmly by the offended father. Only Luke tells us about the tax collector in the temple who prayed, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee who prayed, boy, I'm glad I'm not a sinner like that guy. Jesus said it was the repentant tax collector who was accepted by God that day. Only Luke tells us about the repentant thief on the cross who was accepted by God on his deathbed, as it were, even though he was an evildoer. Only in Luke will you read the story about little insignificant man named Zacchaeus to whom Jesus gave his day and his time. Luke also goes out of his way to show how much Jesus loved little children and how often he looked after the welfare of, of women in that society and how Luke, and only Luke reports that Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, we could go on and on into some other things. We'll look very briefly at Mark. Um, the final gospel that we'll look at was actually the first to be written down. It is the shortest of the gospel narratives with very few details, almost like a Reader's Digest version. Someone has called it the dragnet gospel. 
because if you ever watched Dragnet or heard it on TV, I heard it on radio, uh, Dragnet was always saying, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. That's about the way Luke, I mean, uh, Mark approached it. There was a reason for this. Mark was afraid that the disciples were all going to be killed before the story could be reported. And he wrote to make sure that didn't happen. He might be the next one killed. So the basic outline of Jesus' life needed to be recorded. He included one personal detail that is found only in Mark and in no other gospel. The story is told about how when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they found a young boy there who apparently had gotten up out of bed and sneaked off to see what the disciples were up to that night. He was wrapped up only in a bed sheet. The soldiers made sport of that young man, swiped his sheet, causing the boy to run home, streak home, totally unclothed. It is thought by scholars that Mark included that as a way of saying, yeah, that's me. I was there. I'm writing this because I had some firsthand knowledge of all this. But even in this abbreviated gospel, we can see one of Mark's passions and the portrait that he paints of Jesus, and that is that Jesus was one who was radically obedient to God. Whereas Israel had been radically disobedient, Jesus was always obedient. And as you read Mark, look for the many times that you'll find the word immediately. That word immediately is a word associated with slavery because slaves were expected to respond to orders immediately. They were the ones that knew radical obedience. God's son was so devoted to God that it could be said of him that he was God's willing slave. God was his master. Jesus always did immediately what was expected of him. And we need to do that as well. So we see that Matthew's portrait of Jesus shows Jesus to be Hebrew in every sense of the word, loyal making it possible for Hebrews to relate to him. While Luke portrays Jesus as an humble man who loved everyone, saint and sinner alike, Jews and Gentiles, Mark says that Jesus could be our Savior because he was always immediately obedient to God. May we hail Jesus as our King, our Savior, and our example. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, season have the lovely and talented Charlie home with us. Lovely and talented, yes.
stand with me and uh, let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Take to the world 
go forth in peace, conscious that your life is the gospel story of Jesus Christ that someone is reading. And may they see in you something that makes them want to fall in love with this Lord and Savior who's given his life for us. Amen. Have a great week.